today. It's called this. Jesus prays. Jesus prays specifically for the believer's growth and freedom. Jesus prays specifically for the believer's growth and freedom. Indeed, the subject of growth in the Bible, in the believer, is so vital for the furtherance of relationship. It's so vital for the furtherance of relationship. Necessary to bring about the purposes of knowing God and experiencing love. To bring about the purposes of knowing God and experience love. Growth defines a process. And if the process is stagnant, it dies and produces no value at all. Paul considered growth so essential in his own life, so essential to show the the, the body, the living spirit of Jesus Christ in him and through him. He considered it very essential in his whole life. He wrote this to the Philippians, and I will quote out of the New Living Translation, chapter 3, verse 7, because I think it brings a vibrance to the essence of the excellence of knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think it brings more of a deep meaning of what Paul was talking about, experiencing this type of growth, experiencing this type of relationship. He says this, I once thought, verse 7, these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because what Christ has done. Verse 8, yes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value. Look at the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage so that I, so that Paul, so that we could gain Christ. And becoming, look at, becoming one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right in himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. His whole purpose, his whole living, his whole being was to know Christ. And he calls it the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for the words of your child, of your servant, of your apostle Paul. I thank you that those are your words that you put in him because he had a personal relationship with him. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for coming the way you did, for living the way you did and showing us a way, showing us a truth and showing us and giving us life to the Father. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon this church and that you would be given this time as yours, that you would be given this hour to fulfill your purposes and plan for each individual that came here, man, woman, and child, that you would accomplish what you desire to accomplish, what you have 
purposed, accomplished before they even got here. So that relationship in which you so much desire would be fulfilled, that your desires would be fulfilled in each one of these people's hearts that sit in the pew, desiring to hear you, even if they don't desire to hear you, even if they've been drugged here, Lord, speak and woo their heart in such a way where it causes relationship, where it causes a stirring within them to show them the truth of Jesus and how much you love them. And Lord, I pray that you would just please come upon this nation as a whole to reveal and magnify that truth even much greater and use this church to do that in this little community called Running Springs. That when people look at this church, that when people in this community see people walking out of this church, they would know Jesus resides in each one of them and that the truth that Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again is evident in these people's lives that come here. And I pray that for this nation, that this church would get up and wake up and hear you and smell the soothing aroma of your wooing and cause them to live in such a way where it breathes, where it bleeds Jesus in every aspect of their life. We thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for the passion that you have passion towards us and the passion that you love us with. May it create that same product within us. Have this time, please. Amen. John chapter 17. If you open up your Bibles there. We've heard of the Lord's Prayer back in Matthew. Our Father, who art in heaven, when the disciples, even in Luke, when the disciples came to Jesus and they saw Jesus praying and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And the church has called that. And by good reason, they've called it the Lord's Prayer. But I beg to differ. I beg to differ. This chapter right here is the Lord's Prayer. Why? Because it shows the Lord praying. 26 verses it shows of the Lord praying. But not only praying about specific selfish reasons, praying specifically for the believer's growth and freedom. Those that believe in Him, even the ones He chose, His apostles. Beautiful in nature. Beautiful to see that our Savior of the world prays in such a way, in such a manner, that He has such passion like this to pray for believers. And and the whole kicker of it, or the whole fact, or the whole magnificent truth in it is, is He prayed this way before He went to the cross, before He left earth and ascended to the Father. Before He did anything. We know that His whole life was captured by prayer. He was a man of prayer, living by prayer. A man of prayer, living by prayer. Obliged to pray because he belonged to the Father. He considered himself the Son of God. And he prayed. Magnificent in nature. Magnificent in beauty. Magnificent in truth. That you can take this to the bank. That Jesus prayed. And Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for the believers to come. And he had a specific intent of praying. It wasn't so he can get what he wanted. It was so the believer would grow and have freedom in Christ. The believer would grow in a relationship. That was the whole reason for his prayer. Nothing else. Nothing else. But to experience a relationship. 
Every time I speak, I probably bore you or probably say these words over and over again. But everything that God has put in me is about relationship, about knowing Christ. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Everything else around it is is all the grace and blessings that he gives us. The rest of it, it's all the intent for it is knowing God. You can find that in the first chapter of Genesis, in the second chapter of Genesis, in the third chapter of Genesis, and even going all the way up until Noah, and then going into Abraham's life, and then Jacob, or Isaac, then Jacob, then Moses. What was the whole meaning of all that? So that his people would know him, and that his people would be an avenue, a channel, so the rest of the nation would know God. God dwelling within Israel, dwelling, living there in the tabernacle as they went through the wilderness. That was his whole reason for it, to know God and to make him known. When you sum it up all, when you sum it all up, when you look at the essence of why you are here, you cannot escape the fact it is to know God and make him known. That's it. The rest of it's so fruitful and blessing and exciting waiting for you to traverse through life with it. But you have to use it. You have to take it. You have to let it happen. You have to let it happen. Verse 1, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. His whole purpose in life was to glorify the father. His whole purpose. That's why he came. He wanted to glorify the Father. Why? To show the world, to show his disciples, to show Israel that he is real. He is the Messiah. And all this is part of his plan. And this is the heart of the Father, to glorify him, to glorify Jesus, to glorify his son, and then the son to glorify the Father. So it shows what? It shows oneness. It shows that they are one God, a triune God. The only thing missing here, but it is working here, is the Holy Spirit. He, he is here but it's not identified. But if you read in the few chapters prior to this, 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus saturates his believers, his apostles, with the fact that the Holy Spirit is alive and well and will soon take on a whole different nature than they know of. A whole different nature from what the Old Testament used to show us of what the Holy Spirit used to do in the believer's life. But look at this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given authority, as you have given Him authority over all flesh. What? He has authority over all flesh. He is ultimate authority over life and creation. And it's beautiful that Jesus brings home that fact, reiterates the fact and truth of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. If you came last week, you would have heard the message called the truth regarding Jesus Christ. The truth regarding Jesus Christ. And it started out in the first five verses of this book. This book is so monumental, so essential to the believer's life and knowing who Jesus Christ is in his deity. The first five verses of the book, John starts out and catapults into that fact of the deity of Jesus Christ because it's so essential for the believer to know who that believer is dealing with or in essence, who the believer's life is being dealt with. That's where it all came from. The deity of Jesus Christ. But look at what he does. He wants to glorify the Father. Everything he did, his whole will in life was to glorify the Father, to show the glory of the Father. 
What is that? It's the strength and union of who the Father is. It means this, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifested or acknowledged. That's what glorify means, to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to become manifested and not acknowledged. A lot of times man does that to man, don't don't they? But in this case, Jesus is doing this to the Father. And then he's bringing another aspect into it for the Father to glorify him, not selfishly. What is it for? For you, for the apostles. He had to finish this point in his work. He had to do this in order for all of this to accumulate and be called the glorification. Three elements that we find in this chapter. Three elements that we find in this chapter regarding that supports the title Jesus prays specifically for the believer's growth and freedom. The first one is glorify the Father. The second one is sanctification. The third one is oneness like Jesus. You find those three elements in this chapter. And there's the first one right here. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh. Look at how he uses God's glory that God gave him. He gives authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. As many as you have given him. That amount is unknown in the economy of God. You cannot sit here and tell me that you know how many who's chosen and who's not. You don't know. The only way you know is by the heart and by the smile. I was told the other day. Interesting, interesting things that happened to me along the way in life. You know, I go down to the marketplace down in Redlands and, and everybody's selling Jesus down there. And I had a problem with that. Why do I have a problem with that? Because the, the, the regular average Joe doesn't know which Jesus to buy. But this one guy comes up to me and says, hey, do you know where you're going? You need to take a test. And I should have took the test, but I looked at him and I smiled and I said, the same place you're going, right? He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, do you know Jesus Christ? He says, yeah. I said, well, then I'm going the same place you are with the father, right? He's like, oh, oh, and then we, he's like, well, your smile shows. And I'm like, well, how about my heart? How about my life? He doesn't know me. He doesn't know me from Adam, right? But the fact of the matter of that whole conversation, I was just blown away because I'm walking down the marketplace and everybody's selling Jesus. Even the atheists is selling their faith. <laughs> Craziness. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Only God knows how many he's going to have. God is wooing each person now, each person now in this life, waiting for them to respond so that we can say, yep, God chose that person. Why? Because they were able to receive God's glory, God's grace, God's vision, God's love. Everybody's able But not everybody wants to. That's the problem. Not everybody wants to choose. They want to choose their own way. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Whom you have sent. I love this. Because of the authority that God has given Jesus, he has the authority to define eternal life. He has the authority to define life. He has the authority to define every morality in life. He has the authority to give us righteousness and truth. Because he is God. In nature, he is God. Jesus is God. You can't escape that. But the beautiful fact here 
is he gives you, he gives us, he gives me, he gives the apostles, and he's praying in front of the apostles most likely because John records this because he just spent, you know, in our time frame, four chapters with them telling them all about who he is and revealing love. But up until this point, he tells us what eternal life is. And eternal life is this, knowing the one and only true God, the only one, monotheistic God. That's it. There is no other God. Jesus is saying right here, he's excluding everything else and saying, this is it. There's nothing else. Sorry. Not even sorry. But that's it. This is the fact. The truth excludes by a definition. It does. And you cannot get away from that fact. It excludes. And it reveals what's true and what's a lie. And right here, Jesus is defining, defining the truth. And he's saying eternal life is this, to know, to gnosko, to gnosko. It's a Greek term that you've all, you've heard me say before because it's always in my teachings or in my languages. Gnosko, but I'm no Greek scholar, but I do understand the word gnosko. It's called to, to uh, experience, to receive experience of knowledge, knowledge gained by acquaintance. In other words, the amount of time you put in to this subject, to gnosko this subject, You're putting in time so you become very familiar, very acquainted with this subject where it develops an experience in you. Will you know that subject personally? Where you can give the truth personally because you have the experience of it. But the only way you get gnosko is you got to let it happen. You have to converse. You have to live. You have to traverse with that experience. You have to develop experience. You have to know the one and only true God. That means every aspect of our lives in which you climb and hike in life, you are going to have to experience levels of this emotion or levels of this relationship you develop with Jesus Christ and the only true God. And then you will have gnosko. And gnosko is beautiful because then you know for sure that you know God, that you know Jesus. Just like this fella said, well, I can tell by your smile. That was one aspect of it, but there's many other aspects of it. How about the trials and tribulations of life? Not everybody's smiling through that. But when you endure and stay steadfast, you develop a gnosko. And I develop a steadfastness where you know for sure God is in it and God is with you despite the circumstances, even when you're crawling through the glass and the nails and traversing through each obstacle as you go through. There was one, there's one black lady who sings a spiritual hymn and I love it. And I love it. She says, Lord, don't move that mountain, but give me the strength to climb. Lord, don't move that mountain, but give me the strength to climb. Why? Because she wanted gnosko. She wanted to know that type of knowledge of the one and only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Gnosko. Beautiful in how it develops the human mind and the soul to know Jesus Christ. Experience life with Him. Verse 4. 
I have glorified you on the earth. I have, te- I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have glorified you. That's what his whole purpose in life was, to glorify the Father and do the work that he sent him to do. He didn't get out of any of that realm. He was tempted so many times. Remember in the wilderness? Remember in the wilderness? I think that's a pure display of God's authenticity of who Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is. He gave that to us so we would know how authentic, how real Jesus Christ is and how the ability that he had to follow Jesus's or, or the Father's will even through 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and being tempted by the demon himself, Satan, with all types of the flesh desires. And then what does it say after that in Luke? Satan left him for another opportunity to come later. All through the three and a half years of Jesus being on earth, he was tempted and tried to try and deviate from the path that God gave him. But his whole purpose in life was to glorify God in his life and on the cross and on the resurrection. That's what he says he's doing here. Up until this point, he's gotten to this part in his life where now he is finishing the work. He is finishing the work God has called him to do. Not one of us yet has finished the work God has called us to do. We had one saint that just left us a few months ago and she finished the work that God had called her to do. And what a mighty work that was, wasn't it? A mighty work. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Jesus is saying that can happen in every one of our lives. Glorifying God on the earth in our lives. Look at verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. Glorify me together with yourself. With the glory, look at, with the glory which I had, which I had with you before the world was. It's beautiful. In this prayer, he prays a little bit about theology. And the theology is God or Jesus always existed with God. He always had a glorified state before he came to earth. He always was. And always will be. That's why the Bible says in, in, in uh, Revelation chapter 1, he is the Alpha and the Omega, meaning there is nothing before him and there is nothing after him. And he is the author of everything in between. He is the originator and the creator. Then he backs it up in, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 42 and 43 and 45 and 46 about there is no other God. There is no other God, none besides me. I am the beginning, I am the end. So if that's the case, if that's the case, who is Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about Yahweh, God the Father, or God the Son, or both? So beautiful in nature. But you must take a look at the context and see who he's talking about. The Savior, and then the Creator, and then the Savior, and then back to the Creator, and then back to the Redeemer. Isn't that Jesus in all of the essence of God the Father? Yes, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's beautiful how he gives a little bit of theology here in his prayer. Not much, but just enough to solidify the truth of who he is and why he's praying. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men. I have manifested your name to the men. Who? What men? Whom you have given me out of this world. He's referring to the apostles, the disciples who you have given me out of this world. In other words, Jesus prayed for these guys in Luke chapter 6. He went to the mountain and prayed. He said, Lord, you know, I don't, well, he doesn't record it, but you know, he was there praying before he chose the apostles. He even chose Judas. He even chose them. 
the one who would deceive him. But he says here, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. (laughs) He says they have kept your word. Well, we know. I wonder if he's using this in future tense. Because we know after this point, what happened? Where'd they all go? They scattered. Jesus is developing or showing us, not developing, but showing us, I think, a process, something of a process that happens in our hearts and even his, in his boy's heart. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them to, for I have given to them the words which you gave, have given me and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you and that and they have believed that you sent me. Look at what he says in the beginning though. In verse six, I have manifested your name. I have manifested your name. How did he do that? He never told him God's name, you know, personally, like this is Fred or this is Joe or this is Samantha. He never said anything of that nature. How did he manifest his name? by his character, by the works that he did, by the will that he displayed that was coming from the Father. That's how he displayed the character and the quality and the meaning of God the Father's name. As we just sung about manifesting your name. In essence, God has manifested in his name in his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ displayed that type of conduct, displayed that type of behavior, displayed that type of lifestyle, displayed that type of love, all revealing the nature of God the Father. Because in the ancient time, in the ancient time, they didn't just haphazardly name somebody just because they liked the name, like Zoe, like I made mention of that last time. Or or Chelsea, or I'm not making, if your name's Chelsea, I'm sorry. But there was no thought behind, there wasn't, there was always a thought and a purpose behind the name. There was always a reason for the name. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, they highly regarded the name. Especially if it was connected to God. It was something that meant something to a person, especially to the worshiper. However, however, because that great and quality name that represented God the Father, People around that person, around those worshipers, would expect to see that same quality in the worshiper. That was consistent. That was the way they thought things happened in the ancient time. Because you represent the quality and the person of God the Father or Jesus Christ. Your lifestyle should represent the quality and name of Jesus Christ. That represents the name. That holds all kinds of truth. In the name of the Father. In other words, Jesus manifested God's name through the way he lived. I love this because God doesn't leave us without an explanation or an example of this. And it takes place in what? Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. You don't have to go there. But just before Moses takes on this great assignment of leading the nation of Israel through through, through the, uh, the, the wilderness and coming to the promised land and establishing theocracy throughout the promised land. Before he goes, God knew his people were going to want to know who the authority was behind Moses. Whose name do you say 
you are coming in? Whose name do you come in that authority and leading us the way you do? This is what you will tell them. I am who I am sent you. In other words, Yahweh, Yehovah sent you. The eternal one. And he goes on later and says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. That God. The God who was so personal with Noah. Remember, but God, but Noah found grace. So personal with Noah, all the way up to Abraham, because Abraham was considered a friend of God. And then his boy Isaac, because he's fulfilling the promise. And then even further than that, the seed is even represented even further than that in Jacob. And now the fruition of that promise in the, in Egypt. And now they're taking them across. So what is God saying to Moses? He's saying, tell them the faithful eternal one is the one who sent you. Yahweh, Jesus Christ. That's who's sending you. That's who's giving you this authority. That's who's giving you this power to do this for the purpose of them knowing me personally. Why? Because he did that, didn't he? He took them through the Red Sea. Don't you think that's a trial? Okay, fellas or and women, I'm going to take you through this Red Sea. And why? Because I'm going to show you how powerful I am. And by me showing you how powerful I am, that'll represent my name even much further when we go through the wilderness. So you won't leave me. But what happened? They left him. Some didn't follow. Some weren't baptized underneath. They didn't want to be baptized into that kind of lifestyle. Heck no. We want to do it this way. Moses is taking way too long on the mountain. Let's build our own God back to the square of doing it the way we did it in Egypt. Oh, I just released you from that. I just freed you from Why do you want to go back to that? Why do you want to go back to that? His name. His name by nature changes people. His name by nature changes people. It renews, it transforms. It renews and transforms. It establishes some type of quality in the believer. In the believer. Let's move on. Verse 9. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. I do not pray for the world. He, look at He's praying for his disciples specifically. So I'm not worried about the world right now. I'm worried about my disciples because that's my focus right now. Because they're the ones that are going to continue the work that I left behind. <clears throat> for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. They are yours. He takes care of what the Father's um, prized possessions are. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. He takes care of the Father's prized possessions. He considers and values them that much to pray for him. Not only to die for him, but before he leaves the earth, he prays for him. Verse 10, and all mine are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. What does that mean? It means this. He is glorified in him, in them. He just got through 13, 14, 15, and 16, telling them about a change of relationship that was going to happen. He was no longer going to be present on the outside like he was for three and a half years. He was no longer going to be present on the outside, but now he's going to be present on the inside. That's the glory. Paul says that in Colossians. The mystery of the Gentiles has been revealed in you. And the mystery is this, Christ in you, the King of glory. That's what he's talking about. The glory, a glory is manifested in them. And I am glorified in them. The whole truth of who Jesus Christ is. 
Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. These are in the world. He's speaking of his apostles. And I come to you. And I come to you, Holy Father. Look at how he, re- look at how he represents the Father's name. He calls him holy. In other words, someone who is sacred, sanctified, revered. Holy Father, keep through your name. Keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are. Keep through your name. In other words, protect them through your name, the nature and glory of who you are and who I said you were. That's what he's saying. Sanctification means this. This is the second element. Sanctification. He's praying for their sanctification. He's also praying for their protection, but the protection is part of the sanctification process. Not that no evil will come upon you or them, but that you would be protected through the evilness. Do you get that? Don't mislead this prayer. Don't mislook at this prayer. Don't misread this prayer, in other words. He's not saying, hey, don't let any evil happen to them. He said, no, keep them, protect them in this world by your name. The very nature and quality of who you are, may that be represented represented in the quality of who they are. That's what he's saying. But sanctification means to set apart, make holy, make holy, make look like Jesus. In other words, for me to understand, make me look like Jesus for God's purpose and use. That's what sanctification is. It's a process. It's a process of growth. It's that growth defined like I would talked about in the beginning. That's all it is. Don't get hung up on these high and lofty theological words. But the matter of fact of it is sanctification is a process even in the Old Testament. God was doing it then in the sacrificial systems to set apart the believers, to set apart the worshipers, to set apart Israel so that God can do a mighty work through Israel and reveal the God of glory, the God of heaven, the God of earth, the God of all creation, Yahweh, to the rest of the world. That was his whole purpose of establishing Israel. As remember in Deuteronomy, it's not because you were so that I, you were so good and, and so awesome. It was all because of this, because I loved you. That's what he said in Deuteronomy. I chose you because I love you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Aren't you glad? Aren't we glad? I, I just found that, I don't know why, I always knew it, but I, the revelation didn't hit me or the, the, the real meaning of it. I was with a guy out on, on, on a, his fire assignment. And he told me, he said, Mike, God is not a perfectionist. And I had to stop and think about that because I am. I, I, by nature, I want everything perfect. That cannot happen in my life. Not in my lifetime. But God is not a perfectionist. He showed that by choosing Israel. Choosing Israel. He showed that by choosing me. He shows that, and I love you. He chose that. He chose you. We are not perfect. But he uses our nature, our whole process of growth to glorify himself in us so that we would know the true and living God and how powerful he is. That's, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. Sanctification. Sanctification. We're back in verse 11. Now I no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them through your name. Protect them. In other words, it's this. It's other words, this this word represents a term that means this, to provide a firmness by keeping them, to provide a firmness of mind and to cause one to persevere or stand firm. That's what Jesus is praying for. That's what this word kept means. 
Keep them by your name so that your name will produce this, a firmness of mind and a perseverance in nature. Why? Because you represent that name and what you believe in. Beautiful and marvelous how the name of God produces this stuff in men and women and children. When I say men, I make mention of all mankind. So don't take me the wrong way. Verse 12, verse 12. When I, while I was with them in the world, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. In other words, I perfected them, protected them. I provided this kind of firmness in them. This is why I was with them for three and a half years is what he's saying. I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except old Judas, the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And I don't use that to, to, to strike any type of humor, but I do use that to mention this. Jesus reached out to Judas. He gave him a choice. Even though the scripture might be fulfilled, God could have used another man. He could have used another way. But the scripture might be fulfilled. Somebody had to do this. But God forbid it was Judas. Jesus didn't want that to happen. He gave him an offer of friendship. That's what the whole message behind fellowship and having breaking bread together means. We don't do that anymore. But when you break, even with your family, when you break bread with your family, that's a time of fellowship, of union, of talking about the Lord. That's the way it was supposed to be. And that's what God was doing here with his disciples. And he offered Judas a way out, but he took the other route. Because the scripture said what? Satan came in him and took him out. That's what happened to the guy. He couldn't handle it to the point where he hung himself. Or at least the scriptures say so that way, that he went headlong. His guts came out. He hung himself. He did something of that nature. He couldn't handle the guilt. He couldn't handle that type of pain. And a lot of people are like that, man. They can't handle the guilt that, that the, the, the sin does upon people. Three, four months ago, my, my wife and I experienced that same thing in my sister-in-law's uh, uh, so-called uh, fiancé. He was so captured by his lifestyle that he led before that put him in prison. He could not live with himself. They found him out hanging on the ranch because he couldn't handle it. And I was supposed to marry those two. Crazy about the guilt that happens in there. You see, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of the Father. And that's what Jesus is praying for, that that name would keep you in such a way so that your life would not go down this road. Verse verse 13, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may be... Excuse me, I'm going a little too fast. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy. His joy, yeah, his joy inside of us, fulfilled in us. That's what he's asking for. That's perfected, lacking nothing. That's what that word fulfilled means. It means that it would come alive within you. Why? Because now he has the same joy. Why does he always have joy? Because he's one with the Father. Because he has this relationship with the Father. That's why. But this new joy, his joy that he's giving to his disciples, or at least that he's praying for, that would come alive and be fulfilled, lacking nothing, all is contingent upon the game changer of the relationship that just happened four four chapters ago. 
Jesus is now changing every aspect of the relationship that he had with his disciples. He's going to the Father and he says, you know what? It's my advantage. If I don't go, boys, it's not, to, it's not a good thing if I don't go right now. I know you guys all want me to go, but I need to go. It's, my, it's your advantage. In other words, it's profitable for you that I go to the Father. Why? Because then the Holy Spirit will come and then you'll have a more personal, intimate relationship with me and the Father. Then I'll be dwelling within you. <gasps> Whoa. They didn't understand that kind of, kind of a concept. No one does. I don't. It's impossible to understand unless you personally have a relationship with God the Father and His Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to understand that kind of joy. The effectiveness, the, the, the authenticity of that name which creates joy, which gives you perseverance and a firmness of mind to be able to go through anything that, that, that life puts at you. He considers this all to be an advantage. All to be an advantage. It was an advantage, fellas. It's an advantage, folks, that we, he went to the Father. It's your advantage now. It's our profit now. We are profiting from this but we need to let it happen so that it can really come alive and be fulfilled in the church. In the church. And when I see, I mean the church, I mean everybody who knows Jesus Christ as Lord, God, and Savior. Sanctification. Beautiful, isn't it? Sanctification. This is what happens. This is what happens. It's all that part of that gnosko, that experience, that experience. <clears throat> I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. We already talked about that. I should not pray that you should take them out of the evilness or the tribulations that are going to happen in this world or the falsifications of who I am or the persecutions that they're going to be going through or the deaths or the turmoils or the horrific things that the will of man does. He says this, you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You should keep them from the evil one. In other words, give them that firmness of mind and perseverance so that they can walk through the world, not being affected by the world culture, being affected by the lifestyles of the world in which they bring and say, oh, it's okay. Two examples, living examples. Julie and I had met this beautiful couple in our old church where I got saved. 14, 15 years ago, I'm probably, I probably am going back further. I don't know. <clears throat> this one couple, God used magnificently, instrumentally to reconcile not only the marriage that Julie and I had, but also bring me to Christ and take me down to a place called U-Turn for Christ. God used this guy. He was a youth pastor, had a huge youth ministry, vibrant, growing, People knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, going out and, and, and standing at in places in the state capitol, standing for uh, uh, against abortion, using teenagers. And this is how passionate they were for God. God used this guy. But these guys thought it was okay. I was young in nature in the Lord. I didn't know any better. God saved me from a lot of things, man. Saved me and released me and, and, and gave me freedom from a lot of things that held captive in my life. A lot. And one of them was alcohol. And I saw them drinking and I couldn't understand. I said, what are you guys doing? Oh, it's okay, Mike. It's okay. We're not getting drunk. I said, all right, fine. Cool. I left it alone. Years went by. The wife and them got so captivated in that stuff and allowing themselves to be devoured by that, allowing themselves to be 
taken over. That power, in essence, came over them. Jesus says, or Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. That did not edify them. Their marriage broke. It got messy. She got involved in some other type of drugs. But the alcohol wasn't the root, I don't think. There was something else going on. And God, or the enemy, used the alcohol to bring them to the point where they were caused separation and left. He left that ministry. He left to Washington, took the kids and left and married another. She's somewhere. I don't know where she is. We still can't find her. These were people God used us, used for us. Another beautiful couple, another example of how God keeps us in his name. Another couple that was there. God didn't use them so much in being instrumental in our marriage and our life, but he used them in our life to bless us and our children. To see a remarkable model of how two people who love Jesus have a beautiful marriage and have beautiful children that God can keep despite the ups and downs of life. And it's beautiful in nature. These two people, they're, they're very tall. They're, I mean, they're just beautiful people to be around. I mean, you just get blown away every time you're around them. But these two people, they sing a cappella together. They love each other. And they sing in their church down in the, in, the, in the low desert down in Palm Springs. Beautiful. And God's still sustaining them. God's still sustaining their, their family. Why? Because Jesus prayed for that. That can happen. You just got to let it happen. You just got to let it happen. Two of those were two examples of how the enemy deceives and how the enemy can, can be defected or reflected by the name of God. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, your word is so powerful, God. It sets everything apart. Like I said, that's what the word sanctify means to the point where it literally purifies us internally. If the word is truth and it sanctifies and Jesus is praying for it, it happens internally. Everything's internal with Jesus. Nothing is superficial, by the way. It's all internal. It purifies internally by a reformation of the soul through the knowledge of what? The truth. The truth reforms. The truth refines the truth purifies the truth sets free the truth sets free jesus backs this up in john chapter 8 don't go there just listen then jesus said to those jews who believed in him or in other words the leaders if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed or in other words if you let that word come alive everything that i said in you come alive in you and let it happen verse 33 and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free that's what he's saying It'll make you free. It'll reform you. It'll refine you. It'll define your worldview is what Jesus is saying. It'll give you definition of life and what it's really about, the Zoe. Because my word sanctifies. Beautiful how he prayed for that. Beautiful how that happens today. One of the beautiful verses that the Lord captured me with years ago was this in Colossians 3.16. Let the words of Christ come alive in you richly richly singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing grace with your heart in your hearts to the lord colossians three sixteen. i remember walking into a uh, u-turn um, for christ and this big tall mexican guy i don't say it have to be a uh, 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 mean or uh, i can't think of the word right now but a racial but he's tall tattoos all over his arm this is not the guy you want to be walking up to or at least having walking up to you and he said to me he said hey man let the words of Christ come alive in you. 
And man, that shook my world right there. That twisted everything for me to the point where, okay, I, I, you know, because I was so down at that point, I needed something. And I said, all right, I'm going to let it come alive and let's see what happens. And it happened. And it changed. And it renewed. And it caused tears in my eyes every time I read his word. That's because it sanctifies. It sets it all apart, man. It gives you freedom. It shows you what's real and what's not and identifies the character of who you are and the reality of who Jesus is and that he's the one that's going to provide life. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. He gave them a mission. God was on a mission. He gave his apostles a mission, an assignment, an assignment to finish the work that God had completed or that God had left for them to do, to build the church, to continue the church. Verse 19, here's the beautiful part of it. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. And for their sakes, whose sakes? The apostles' sake. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by truth that they also may be sanctified by truth. Proverbs 30 chapter or Proverbs 30 verse 3 says this, every word of God is pure, tested, refined, found pure. He's a shield to those who put their trust in them. He's a shield to those who put their trust in them. I like the way the Living Bible translates this last verse right here, verse 19. It says this, Jesus says this, and I consecrate myself to meet their need for spiritual growth and in holiness. I just talked about how the word sanctifies you and produces something in you. And now the living Bible translates it in a more amplified way. This is what Jesus was doing. He was doing this. He was sanctifying his life to validate his life, his being, the truth of who he is, God's word. He's, I'm going to validate this for you, fellas by me consecrating myself and showing you how valued this truth and how real this truth is. This is what I do. This is what my whole purpose was. Verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So in other words, Jesus is praying for future believers. Future believers, for Frank, for Stephen. For all these people who come to Jesus later on in life after he did this marvelous work on earth. Marvelous work. And he prays for future believers. We weren't even born yet and he was praying for us. That is awesome. That should stir your soul to go, okay, let's get going. Let's get going. Let's make haste. This is a beautiful truth here that he prays for us in such a way. But look at what he prays for. This is the third element Oneness like Jesus. Oneness like Jesus. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. That the world may believe that you sent me. He is praying for a oneness. Oneness means this. It means to be united most closely, most closely in will and spirit to the point where it's noticeable and it represents unity or harmony. Isn't that what he's praying for? The whole intent of your oneness is so that people will believe the truth in your life. The truth in your life. That's what he's praying for. That the validity, that the truth of who Jesus Christ, of who he says he is, 
is being actually revealed in our lives to the point where it caused people to go, yes, what is that that's going on in you or her? You're going through all this, but you have this. What, what, what's happening? If I was you, I would leave him. If I was you, I would destroy them. But you have a firmness. You have a purpose, it seems like. You have a mission. He's praying for this kind of one. Only this kind of oneness. Only this kind of oneness and will and spirit can produce this kind of harmony and, and unity. And it's found in marriage too, isn't it? Marriage, when you look at a marriage, you should look at a marriage and see union. When you look at a family, you should see a bondness. A bondness. Why? Because there's oneness in there. If Jesus is in it, I remember a couple of weeks ago, my fellas, my guys at work, they don't know that I listen to their conversations a lot of times because I'm at the computer doing computer chief stuff or whatever the case might be. But I'm listening to this one guy and he's making reference to this other fireman and this fireman's wife. And he said this, he's like, you know, you can really tell that they're married. And I stopped and I thought, and I'm like, what do you mean by that? Oh, you were listening, chief? Yeah, I was listening. What do you mean by that? Well, they seem to have unity. They seem to like each other. Whoa, you're kidding. So that's what marriage looks like. And then I turn around and start typing. So, you know, but it brought this interesting fact to my heart. That's how our lives should represent Christ. Those guys are Jesus people. All these crazy things happening to them and they're always praying and smiling through it. I don't understand them. That's what Jesus is praying for. Look at this. Verse 23, I and them and you and me that they may be, excuse me, go back to 22. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. See that? He's, he's solidifying that truth. He wants the same oneness to be in us that he has with the Father. That same experience. It can happen. He prayed for it. Why isn't it happening? He prayed for it. Jesus prayed for this. He prayed for the growth and the freedom for believers. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one. In other words, lacking nothing, that they may be complete, that this is all they want in life, that this is all they pursue in life is oneness with God. Whoa, that's what that word means. That's heavy word. It's a powerful word. Don't overlook that word. That everything in life that they pursue is oneness. That's what he's praying for. That. The message that you breathe needs to come alive in you. That's what he's praying for. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me. Look at that. Have loved me. Have loved me as you have loved me. Or, or excuse me. And have loved them. Have loved them. That the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, these believers, as you have loved me. In other words, they'll look at the oneness that the church has and say, there is love there, a divine love that I do not know. Why they love enemies, I do not understand. Why they pray for Trump, I do not understand. I'm just kidding. I pray for him, you should pray for him. He's a wonderful president. I'm just making a, a, a statement, a fact, or trying to give you an example. But... That is the type of oneness and love that is in people's hearts. That's what Jesus was praying for. But it's that same love, that same love, that same agapeo that we can have that he had with the Father. Oh, I love it. 
Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am. Let's look at that. His whole desire is that he, that we be with him in eternity. That's what his desire is. His whole desire. That they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known you that you sent me. I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That one, that oneness should represent the unity and harmony that we have with Jesus Christ. This is very hard to receive, but there was a quote by Brennan Manning and he said this before he died. He was so passionate about a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was so passionate about knowing Jesus and having oneness. He said this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelieving. Jesus prayed for oneness for a specific reason that people would believe and know the love that you have and know that love is real and powerful and alive and works and can be counted on and is truth and you can take to the bank and sit on that and live in it and know that it's going to provide firmness and mind and perseverance in the soul. That's what he prayed for, for growth and freedom. He prayed for nothing else. He prayed for Father's will. And you know, that's the Father's will and what he prayed for. He prayed for that, the Father's will, so that we would have an experiential relationship with God of the universe, the only true God in Jesus Christ, his son, in Jesus Christ, his son. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now he is going up to the path of sorrows. Jesus prays specifically for the believers, growth and freedom, glorify the Father, sanctification and oneness like Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I pray that your truth would go forth into our hearts and minds to define purpose in our lives. Bless these people here. May they be a blessing to others. And may this oneness cause people to know that you have loved them with the same love you've loved Jesus and that you have truly sent your son. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.